Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of this week. We pray and thank you for the ability to come before you during your Sabbath with freedom. We thank you for calling us into your truth. We pray that what we do during this day and also throughout our lives would be pleasing to you, that we would be found worthy of your calling, that we would strive to put you first in all that we do. Father, we thank you now and we give you all praise in the name of your Son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. Certainly good to uh, see everybody here today and like to um, extend uh, greetings to those online. My message uh, today is entitled Gideon, an Unlikely Hero. You know, the life of Gideon is not only a great Bible story for those who've read it, but also provides for many lessons, many lessons I think that benefits you and you and you and I. Now, the story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges. In many ways, this book represents what we're seeing right now in our nation. You know, as we see in this book, as, jo- as soon as Joshua died and the elders who knew him, Israel forsook Yahweh, forsook him for the worship of false mighty ones. In fact, we find this phrase twice within this book. It says, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. You know, this again reminds me of what we're seeing in this nation. The morality and common decency is quickly eroding. Instead of doing it Yahweh's way, we're doing it man's way. You know, things like the holiness of marriage and the sanctity of life are, again, quickly eroding. Yahweh defines marriage between one man and one woman for life. Anything outside of this is an abomination. Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is murder. Just as Israel did, we are forsaking Yahweh for those things that he finds abhorring. To follow man's ways. Do it to do as we want to do. Now for Israel, during the time of judges, we find the same basic pattern. There were multiple judges, but with all of them, again, we find the same basic pattern. It begins with Israel forsaking Yahweh. Yahweh then allowing Israel to be conquered by some rival nation. Israel finally calling out for deliverance. And then Yahweh sending a judge to deliver Israel from bondage. Starting in verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, Judges 6, verse 1, the story of Gideon begins there. And uh, we see the same pattern. So uh, Judges 6, 1 through 10 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh, and Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So because of their wickedness, they were again delivered into Midianite bondage. For seven years, and so the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they camped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou came into Gaza and left no substance sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came up as grasshoppers for multitude. In other words, there were many. There were many within these armies between the Midianites and the Amalekites and those from the east. It says, For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh because of the Midianites, that Yahweh sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land." And I said unto you, I am Yahweh Elohim, fear not the mighty ones of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So it begins here by saying that Israel did what? It says here that Israel did what was evil in Yahweh's eyes. You know, when we consider this book and the fact that it begins with Joshua's death, it's amazing to me that Israel fell away so quickly. Consider that for just a moment. 
You would think that the people would have remembered Joshua in the success that they had under his leadership. We know that Joshua was a man who was totally and utterly committed to Yahweh. It was this man who said, as for me and my house, we will worship Yahweh. And when he said that, he meant it, because we know that Joshua did just that, that he and his house worship Yahweh. But as we see here, Joshua's example in memory was really short-lived. After his death and those elders who knew him, we see in the record that Israel quickly forsook Yahweh for these false mighty ones, for these deities of the land of the Amorites and the Midianites. Because Israel did what was evil, we see here that Yahweh gave them over to the Midianites to be oppressed. It says here that they were driven from their homes, and literally they were driven to the rocks and to the mountains and to, and to the caves. They lost everything they had, including their provision. They had no food. They had no livestock. They had nothing. They were left impoverished, it says. And we also see here that when they could take no more, they cried out for deliverance, that Yahweh would come and provide relief. Now, before Yahweh would call Gideon, we see something else occurred. We see that he first sent a prophet to prophesy against Israel's sins. This prophet reminded Israel why she was suffering. She was suffering because she forsook Yahweh. And you know, when you do that as a nation, this is a consequence. In the Bible study, we were speaking about consequences of sin. And we see an example of that here, that there's a consequence when we sin. There's a consequence to everything we do within this life. If we do things Yahweh's way, Yahweh's way, we're going to be blessed. If we do things man's way, our way, we're not going to be blessed. We're not going to be blessed. And Israel was reminded of this lesson through this prophet. Again, it's amazing to me how a nation like Israel could fall away so quickly. You know, it wasn't very far back when their forefathers witnessed the miracles in Egypt. And also, all that they received in the 40 years in the wilderness. If nothing, I believe Israel's a great example of human nature. Israel's a great example of human nature. You know, it's remarkable how a nation could radically change within such a short space of time. But in many ways, I believe we're seeing the similar changes in this nation. You know, there was a day when the majority in this nation understood I believe what was moral and decent, they understood that things like abortion and homosexuality was wrong. It's not right. They understood that living together out of wedlock was not right. They understood that the family had a divine order with the father being the head of that union. But today, we're seeing a breakdown with morality and decency within this nation. And so much of this decline has occurred within the last few decades. It doesn't take much. You know, as we see from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11, stories like this one are are for our example. I want to read that. Here's what Paul says in the New Testament. He says, now these things are our examples. You see, they were written so that we would learn from them. It says to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be you adulterers, idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up early to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us attempt Messiah, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. They are written so that we can learn something, so that we can look to these examples and not repeat them. It says, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the examples we find throughout the Bible are for us. We should be learning from what we find within the word. And when we see examples like this, the lesson is that we should worship and we must worship Yahweh as we find within his word. We cannot deviate We cannot do it our way. We cannot do it man's way. We cannot do it another way. We must do it Yahweh's way, or there will be consequences. There were consequences for the Israel under this time, 
And there will be consequences today as an example. So again, as believers, these stories apply to us as well. Well, let's move on to verse 11. Judges 6, verse 11, it says, And there came an angel of Yahweh and sat under the oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Ebenezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him and said unto him, Yahweh is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my master, if Yahweh be with us, why then is all this befallen us? It's kind of remarkable if you think about it. And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? You see, they still remembered this. They still understood what Yahweh did. They knew the stories. And yet we find that they still forsook Yahweh. But now Yahweh hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And Yahweh looked upon him and said, Go, and this they might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O Yahweh, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And Yahweh said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I want to begin here by talking about this angel of Yahweh. This angel of Yahweh. Who do you suppose this might represent? This angel of Yahweh. Or I believe that this is Yahshua the Messiah in his preexistence. You know, from the Old Testament, we find that this angel of Yahweh was something very special. You know, for example, I want to read Exodus 23, 20 through 22. It speaks more about this angel. It says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way. Now, this is the angel, by the way, that brought the Israelites through the wilderness. And I believe that this is the same angel coming before, before uh, Gideon. It says, Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. So you see here that Israel was to obey this angel. We also see here that this angel had power to pardon transgression or to forgive sin. We also see here that this angel had Yahweh's name within him. That's a, uh, really important to know. Now, we know that from the word that we're to obey Yahshua the Messiah. We're to obey the Messiah. We're to, we're to obey our Savior. We also know that Yahshua was given the authority to forgive sin. Yahshua is the one who will forgive the sins of mankind. He will judge mankind. The Father delegated that authority to him. So he has that authority. We also know that Yahshua has Yahweh's name within his own. We see that in Scripture. Yahshua said that he came in his Father's name. He has Yahweh's name within his own. Now, remember also that the word angel comes from the Hebrew Moloch and refers to a messenger. It refers to a messenger. Matter of fact, that word does not always refer to angelic being, but in many cases it does. But it refers to a messenger. Yahshua has always been a messenger, a conduit between mankind and his Father in heaven. He's that messenger. He was the spokesman. He was the one who represented his father in the Old Testament. So again, I believe that this angel here is Yahshua in his preexistence. Now, what else do we see here? We find here that the angel of Yahweh is calling Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Now, Gideon responds here by asking the angel why Yahweh had forsaken Israel. What happened He's asking, why are you no longer here? What happened? You know, you have to wonder why Gideon would even ask this. Why Gideon would even have to ask where Yahweh has gone? You know, at this point, the people of Israel were in apostasy. They had rejected Yahweh, and they were worshiping false mighty ones. Of course, Yahweh's not going to be there. And they knew it. But he begins here by saying, where's Yahweh? Where, where, Where has he gone? Why isn't he here? You know, as we'll see later, the people at this point were still worshiping Baal in the grove. The worship 
But these false deities were especially appalling to our Father in heaven, and yet Israel were, was guilty of doing this. You know, with this in mind, it's, it's again a wonder why Gideon would need to ask why Yahweh had departed. For someone like Gideon, this should have been obvious. You know, for me, though, this shows that when a nation accepts sin, that they lose their moral compass. That's the lesson. When a nation falls into sin, they lose their moral compass. As we're saying also, I believe, in this nation, that we're losing our moral compass. That the things that we understood was, were right and wrong. We don't understand that. You know, sins are, are accepted and even praised in this nation. We're frowned upon just a few generations back. It's not long. And believe me when I say Yahweh's people are not immune to this influence. Yahweh's people are not immune to this immorality. Gideon should have known better, but as we see here, he could not understand why Yahweh had forsaken, because I believe Gideon too was influenced. Now, how did Gideon respond here about him being the one to go and deliver the Midianites, or Israel, out of the Midianite bondage? Where he made excuses as to why he was not the right person. He said that he came from a poor family of Manasseh. And that he was the least of his family. So he's the lowest of the low from his perspective. You know, in some ways, this reminds me of the story of Moses. You know, when we know that Moses had a similar reaction when Yahweh came before him. You know, he begged Yahweh, you know, send somebody else. Don't send me. I'm not ready. I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. I'm unable to do this. You know, I think that we can say that neither Moses nor Gideon were born leaders but I do think they shared something in common. You know, Scripture says that Moses was more meek than any other man. And I believe that Gideon, in many ways, shared this same attribute, that he was meek, he was humbled. And I believe that's why Yahweh called Gideon in, in, in many ways. There's one more lesson to be found here. Yahweh often works with simple things. You know, we know that Israel was not a large nation, Scripture says that they were a small nation. Yet we also know that Israel, Yahweh called Israel as his own. Yahweh called Israel as his own nation. You know, we also see the same lesson in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, speaking to the Philadelphian assembly, it says these words. It says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut. In other words, when Yahweh is working with you, no man can hinder that. No man can stop that. It says, for thou hast a little power. They were small. It says, and has kept my word. And this is important. It says, and has not denied my name. So they had many things going for them. They were keeping his word, worshiping as he says to worship, and they were honoring his name. But we see here that even though they were, they were the primo assembly, they were small and had little power. There was nothing impressive about the Philadelphian assembly. Here's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. He says, But Elohim hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Elohim hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So we see here from Paul, and we also see from the example of Gideon, that our Father in heaven, he often works with weak, that he works with small that he works with the insignificant. He doesn't work with megachurches. He doesn't work with powerful politicians. He doesn't work with many of the rich. He works with the simple. He works with those that are meager. So as believers, one of the lessons is we should never be ashamed if we're small, if we're insignificant. I've had some people say, you can't possibly have the truth because you're so small. I have to remind them sometimes that how many were saved in the flood? Was it the vast thousands upon thousands? It was eight. And if it wasn't for Noah, it wouldn't have been eight. Probably, more than likely. They didn't find great. Noah found grace, favor. Not, not, not the others. Well, let's continue on with verse 17. We'll continue the story here. It says, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace... You know, who says a grace by the way in the Old Testament? Grace is all throughout the Old Testament. Yahweh showed grace so many times, it's amazing 
the grace he showed Israel. I mean, Israel was not the stellar, stellar poster boy of morality and righteousness. Let's face it. But Yahweh never forsook Israel. He always showed grace. He says, I have found grace in thy sight. Then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until you come again. He's speaking to this angel of Yahweh. says, And Gideon went in and made ready a kid in eleven cakes of an ephah, a flower. The flush he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of Elohim said unto him, Take the flesh and the eleven cakes, and lay them upon the rock, and pour out the broth. And so he did. Then the angel of Yahweh put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the eleven cakes. And there arose fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and eleven cakes. Then the angel of Yahweh departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived, yes, he didn't realize it until now, he perceived, he understood that he was an angel of Yahweh. Gideon said, Alas, O my sovereign Yahweh, for because I have seen an angel of Yahweh face to face, and Yahweh said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto Yahweh and called it Yahweh Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Ebba's rites. So we see here that Gideon made a meal for this angel of Yahweh. And this angel then consumed what he made with fire from this rock. Now when this happened, again, Gideon realized he understood for the first time who was there. It wasn't just a man. It wasn't just a messenger from Yahweh, a prophet. No, someone much, much more is an angel of Yahweh, is an angelic being. So what does this tell us about angels? Or it tells us that angels resemble mankind. Angels resemble us. You know, Hebrews 13, verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So again, angels often appear no different from us. There's nothing physically different from angels than we see within us. Now, that's not to say, by the way, all angels look the same. We know that many, many of the angelic beings look very, very different. So not all angels are the same, but many angels that come to interface with man looks just like man, and we would never know the difference. Now, notice how Gideon responds after realizing that this was the angel of Yahweh. Realize how he was, he was afraid, it says, and that he would die because he saw face-to-face this angel. And we know that you know, Israel had a similar reaction at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law from Yahweh. Whereas I believe that the messenger, the, the angel of Yahweh, you know, Acts 7, Stephen is recounting and says, speaking about the oracles that, was, that were given to the Israelites, says that an angel delivered the oracles for Yahweh's not an angel. I believe that was Yahshua, his spokesman, who gave those oracles. Well, I believe that just like Israel on Mount Sinai, Gideon here realized that there was something very special about this Malak, that there was something very special about this messenger. He realized, and because of that, he was in fear, he was in trepidation. And again, I believe that it was Yahshua the Messiah in his preexistence. Now, after the angel had vanished from his presence, he says he departed. I think he just vanished more than likely, from his presence. We see here that he named the place Yahweh Shalom. Now, what does the word Shalom mean? Or Shalom means peace. So he named the place Yahweh Peace, and I believe that this is probably because Yahweh communicated to him and said that he would not die, that he had peace with that. Now, starting in verse 25, we find Yahweh telling Gideon to remove his father's idols. This is really a turning point for this man. So uh, Judges 6, verse 25 says, And it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw him, throw down the altar of Baal that thy father has, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto Yahweh the Elohim upon the top of the rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a, a, a burnt offering with a wood in the grove, which thou cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of the servants and did as Yahweh had said to him, 
And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night, this thing. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of all was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. And we see several things happening here. Yahweh commands Gideon to destroy his father's idols, to destroy this Baal image in the grove. Now, by the way, I'm not going to get real specific, but the grove was more than likely some sort of phallic symbol, grotesque. It was then told to take the wood from this grove, which was made of wood, of course, and it was to, to then build an altar upon the rock where this angel of Yahweh brought fire from. Now, he was then commanded to take one of his father's bullocks and offer it as a burnt offering upon this stone. Now, I believe that this was probably a sin or guilt offering that he was, he was offering on behalf of his father's home. So what lessons do we see here? Number one, Gideon's father was evidently worshiping these idols. Gideon's father was responsible for this false worship. So we see here that this pagan worship literally hit home for Gideon. We also see here that Gideon was concerned about the consequences of removing these idols. And as we see in the story, he had a right to be concerned. After doing what he did, he was afraid. He was afraid. And as a result, we see that the people threatened Gideon. But you know, actually we'll we'll wait for that in just a moment, but Gideon was afraid. And I believe in many ways this is why I perceive Gideon as this unlikely hero. He was not this strong and bold man. No, he had a lot of reassurances and he was far from perfect. He was reluctant to receive the call. He was afraid after realizing that he was in the presence of the angel. And he was afraid in how the people might respond because, again, we see here that he did this at night. He did this when everybody was sleeping, when they were not awake. He did this thing. He removed the idol. Now, I say this not to disparage Gideon. I really don't because I think Gideon has a lot of great attributes. But, again, Yahweh often works with the weak and imperfect. And I believe Gideon certainly falls under that category in many ways. Now, starting in verse 30, we see that Israel was not real happy with this man, with Gideon. So it says there in verse 30, Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die. They wanted to put Joash or Gideon to death for what he did, because he hath cast the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. So how would he respond? Or Joash... His father said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? In other words, are you going to defend this supposedly mighty one that you're worshiping? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a mighty one, if he be what you believe he is, let him plead for himself because he, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore, on that day, his father called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. So as we see here, the people of Israel, they wanted to kill this guy. They were really upset that Gideon decided to throw down and desecrate this altar of Baal, his father's house again, by the way. So how did his father respond? Or as we see here, that he told the people that if Baal was a mighty one, that if he was a, quote, God as they believed, that he could defend himself, that he could defend himself. You know, this makes me wonder whether Joash Gideon's father really believed in Baal, whether he did or didn't, though we know that what he did was was in gross violation of Yahweh's word, nonetheless. You know, within the Torah, Yahweh emphatically warns against the worship of pagan idols. You know, as a side note, this is one reason why we're so opposed to days like Easter and, and Halloween and Christmas here, because these days are not biblical, and they, they were adopted from pagan worship. 
As we know, Christmas traces, traces back to several Roman peas, Saturnalia, Mithraism, Sol Invictus, all connected in one way to sun worship. Now, as we also see in the New Testament, we, we must worship Yahweh in spirit and truth, and that's one of the messages we find from our Savior. And, you know, I always emphasize the truth as well. You know, some people say we must worship in spirit, and they put a lot of emphasis on worshiping in spirit, and we should worship in spirit, but we must also worship in truth. There's two components to that. Now, beginning in verse 33, we see here two things happening. So I want to, if you can, we'll do this the old-fashioned way here. So turn to Judges, or just listen. doesn't matter how you uh, do it, but we see here in Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to read from 33 through 40. So it says there, then all that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. And the 33 says, And all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east that were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of Yahweh came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And Gideon said unto Elohim, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, Behold, I put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew of the fleece only be it, uh, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wring the dew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto Elohim, Let not thy anger be high. You see, he realized that he was asking just a bit much here. But he says, Be high. Don't be angry with me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground, let there be dew. And Elohim did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. So we see here again an example of his concern, of his lack of faith. Number one, the Midianites along with the Amalekites and those from the east, were gathering in the Jezreel Valley. By the way, it's real interesting. When you go to Israel and you stand, this was just a blew my mind, when you stand upon Tel Megiddo, there in, and or at Tel Megiddo, you can look out and you see the Jezreel Valley. It's just right there in front of you. It's just really phenomenal when you're there and you can see these things. Now this time, we see here that the spirit of Yahweh, the Ruach HaKodesh, came upon Gideon. So Gideon called a man by Ebezer to gather men throughout Israel to form this army to, to challenge these Midianites and the Amalekites and those from the east, including those, it says, from Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. We also see here that Gideon goes to Yahweh for a sign. I want to spend a few moments talking about this sign. I know Many of us are familiar with this story. We, we've, many of us, we've heard the story of Gideon's fleece. To prove that Yahweh was indeed with Gideon, though, he lays out this fleece. First time, he asks Yahweh to fill the fleece with dew. Second time, he asks Yahweh to make sure that it remains dry. Now, in both cases, Yahweh did as Gideon asked, even though, again, Gideon knew you know, not to ask a second time. He says, don't be upset. You know, it reminds me of, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but it reminds me of uh, Abraham. You know, when, when Yahweh revealed to Abraham what he would do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and he kept bargaining with Yahweh. He says, what if, you know, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30, 20, 10? And, and, you know, he knew that, that he was pushing Yahweh. He knew that, but he kept pushing. Of course, we know that not even 10 could be found within that wicked city in that case. Now, both cases, again, Yahweh did as Gideon asked, and he showed Gideon that he was with him, that Yahweh was with Gideon, that he would succeed. 
Yeah, I think there's a lesson for us when it comes to this fleece. Even though we know Gideon had Yahweh's spirit in dwelling within him, Scripture says that. Scripture says that Yahweh's spirit came upon him. We see here that he was still afraid. We see here that he still had doubt. He wanted reassurance that Yahweh was with him. You know, like Gideon, I believe many of us also suffer sometimes from, a, from doubt, right? Or a lack of faith. Many times, maybe when we're being tested, you know, we want our own fleece to test whether Yahweh is with us or not. Well, I'm not trying to justify lack of faith. The reality is many of us can relate to what we find here with Gideon. Many of us have had our moments of of doubt, a lack of faith. Is Yahweh real? Does he exist? Will he help? Does he hear? That's what we find here. He showed Gideon through this test that he was indeed with him. You know, there's a reason why the Bible says, blessed are those who who have not seen and yet believe. There are many who saw Yahshua, saw what he did, but did not believe. The scripture says, blessed are those who have not seen and believe. That's, that's us, because we haven't seen it. We don't have any evidence, not really, of what we find, but we believe it. We believe it. You know, moments like this, we need, we need to have faith. You know, sometimes, again, we, we need confirmation of Yahweh's presence. And when we need this, the worst thing I believe we can do is to ignore it. If we need faith, we should not ignore our shortcoming of faith. Instead, we should go to Yahweh. We should ask for faith. We should pray for faith. You know, Yahweh, we know that he loves us. We know that he would do anything for us. That's evident through his son and what he did through us by giving and offering his only son. We need to only ask. And if we're sincere and we desire to do his will and and, and live according to his word, he will, I believe, give us Faith. So moments like this, we need to simply ask for more faith. You know, remember that our Father in heaven, he's a loving, mighty one who cares deeply for his people. He really does. Again, he gave his son. And if we ask with a humbled heart, a heart that desires to please him, he will answer that prayer, I believe. Now, starting in Judges 7, in verse 1, we find Yahweh preparing Israel for war. Or uh, find Gideon, I should say, uh, preparing Israel for war, but Yahweh had a big part in it. So it says, then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. So you see, he did not want Yahweh, Yahweh did not want the Israelites to believe they were the ones. He wanted them to realize that he was the one. He says, no, this isn't going to work. You're going to reduce your army. So it goes on to say, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And the return of the people, 20 and 2,000. And there remained 10,000. So 22,000, 10,000 remained. And it says, Yahweh said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Too many still. Go out. He says, bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee, and of whosoever I say unto thee, this, uh, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and Yahweh said unto Gideon, Everyone that loppeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you? I can only imagine 300 men would do that. I can't imagine a 
person anyway, as besides the uh, story. And deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So we see here that Gideon's army was, again, much, much too large for Yahweh. We see here that, to begin with, it was 32,000 strong. 32,000 men. But we see here that Yahweh wanted to carve this number down. That Yahweh wanted to remove some of these numbers. So Gideon first commanded those men who were fearful in heart to return home. In response, 22,000 men returned home. Again, that's why we know it's 32,000. Because we know that 10,000 men remained. So 22,000 returned home. 10,000 remained. Well, this was still too many. Yahweh was not happy. Again, he was afraid. He was concerned that Israel would think that they were responsible. So Yahweh set up another test, and after this, only 300 men remained. Now, we see here, again, the concern that Yahweh had. He did not want Israel thinking they were the reason for success. He wanted Israel to realize that he was the reason for success. You know, sometimes I think we need to remember that lesson too as believers. You know, sometimes we believe that it's our success, that it's something great we've done, that we're responsible somehow for what we've achieved. And, you know, I'm not saying that we don't deserve credit. And I'm not saying that we should not be putting forth effort and work. But so often Yahweh puts us in a place where he shows favor to us somehow, which provides for that blessing. So it's certainly something we should be thinking about, that it is Yahweh and not us. You know, this also goes to what we were talking about earlier, though, with Yahweh working with small numbers. You know, in many ways, I believe that this ministry is a great example of what our Father in Heaven can accomplish with just a few people. There's not many people in the office here doing the work, but what we're able to do is, is incredible. You know, we've been able to reach many, many, many people, but you know what? It's not our doing. It's not something great with us. It is the opportunity Yahweh has given us through his blessings and through his provision. And I believe that he continues to work with this ministry. But again, the success and the provision is through Yahweh, not us. So let's read about Gideon's victory. Gideon's victory. And this is the last slide, I believe. So go back to Judges with me. And here we see the phenomenal victory that he was able to accomplish through Yahweh's provision, by the way. So starting in verse 8, and we're going to read down to verse 22, so just a few verses here. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Phura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward thine hands shall be strengthened to go down unto the host. You see, Yahweh still knew that he was a little bit weak. He still had some fear. He needed encouragement, some reassurance that Yahweh was with him. Then went he down with Purit, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers. There were many. It was a vast, vast army and only 300 Israelites for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand of the sea for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it, and the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. 
the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for into his hand hath Elohim delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped, he was glad, he was thrilled, his confidence was renewed. And returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for Yahweh hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. He knew it. He understood it, and he had reassurance. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put the trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. When I blow with the trumpet, and all that are with me, Then blow ye the trumpets, also on every side of all the camp, and say the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning, in the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands, and the three hundred companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and hands, the lamps in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand to blow with all. And they cried the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. Notice who's first, by the way. Is it the sword of Gideon? It says the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. So Yahweh is placed first as he should be within our lives. It says in verse 21, and they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled and the three hundred blew the trumpet, and Yahweh set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host, and the host fled to Beth Sheda in Zerareth, and to the border of Amaloth, unto Tabath. So we see that Gideon's army was again much smaller, much, much smaller when compared to these Midianites and the Amalekites, and those from the east. It says that this, the, the opposing army was without number, was without multitude, were like grasshoppers. It was huge. And here you have only 300 Israelites. Now it says here that the opposing army, again, was just mammoth. Yahweh tells Gideon in response to go down to the camp that night to hear what they're saying, and Gideon did this. He went down, again, heard a man speaking, heard the dream and the interpretation that Israel would defeat the Midianites. As soon as he heard this, again, he was empowered, he was strengthened, he had faith. He went back and he told the 300 men to get ready for war. He then divided his men into three camps and told them to watch him, to do as he would do, that they would blow the trumpet, break their pitchers with the lamps, in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand and advance upon the camp. And by doing this, Gideon gave gave the impression that Israel was much larger, that it was a much larger force than it was. But saying all that, who was responsible for the victory? Or Yahweh gave the victory. It says that he instilled fear in the hearts of the enemies of the armies of the Midianites and the Amalekites and those from the east. He, he is the one who fought. In verse 22, it says that Yahweh set every man's sword against his fellow. The NIV says, it's a little bit clearer. The NIV says, Yahweh caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So Yahweh is the one who brought the victory. It was not Israel. And again, this is why he reduced Gideon's army to 300. He didn't want Gideon or Israel to believe that they were responsible for the win. The win belongs to Yahweh, not to Israel. And again, that's a great lesson for us. He wanted Israel to remain humbled, and he also wants us to remain humbled. Now, I'm not going to give a message on humility, but I will say this. I believe that humility is one of the most important characteristics of a believer. It's a, it's a humility that will get us into the kingdom, and it's a humility, if, if we don't have it, will keep us out, I believe, in many ways. So it's a very important quality to remain humbled. And Yahweh here was 
was ensuring that Israel would remain humbled, that they would not become prideful or arrogant. Again, it's a lesson for us. Instead of trying to gain the victory ourselves, sometimes we need to rely on Yahweh. We need to have faith and assurance that Yahweh is able to provide. And we should never overlook what Yahweh can do even with small things. So many lessons here in this story of Gideon. You know, I think the modern nation of Israel is is another great example of this point, that Yahweh can do some really great things with a very small nation. You know, for those who have been to Israel, you know that it's just a tiny country. It's really remarkable how small it is. I mean, you go from top to bottom in just a few hours, you know, across and even less. I mean, it's just, I I think think maybe about the size of Missouri as far as as size goes. No, I was looking, anyway. It's not very big because, uh, anyway. It's not very big. It's, it's a very small name. But, but when you look at the history of Israel, when you look at the Israel of modern, day, of modern day Israel, it's amazing that they exist. They have been opposed from the very beginning. From the day they were founded as a nation, they had enemies trying to remove them and annihilate them, and they still do. But they persist. They remain. And the only explanation... The only explanation is Yahweh is with them. Now, I know Israel, again, the modern country of Israel, is, is, uh, it has its issues, has a big gay parade. Certainly, Yahweh finds it as, as an abomination. And it's very liberal in, in many, many respects. It's very, the, the percentage of conservative Jews to secular Jews, there's more secular than, than conservative. I, I'm not sure what the percentage is anymore, but there, there's certainly... Uh, but nonetheless, Yahweh remains with Israel as a nation. You know, as we see here, the story of Gideon is not only a great Bible story, but also provides many, many valuable lessons for us. You know, whether we find ourselves in a hard place, overwhelmed, or simply needing guidance, you know, Yahweh is there. And I think that's one of the great lessons here through this story of Gideon, that Yahweh is there, and Yahweh can provide, and Yahweh can do some phenomenal and some remarkable things if we rely on him. But we must believe in him, we must have faith in him, and we must follow him, follow his word. You know, if our motivations are right, and we're striving to please him, nothing can stand in our way, I don't believe, of achieving the prize that awaits the called and chosen. Like Gideon, we will succeed. So I would encourage everybody to think about the lesson, think about the story here of Gideon, Realize the blessings that he received as he followed Yahweh and that we too can receive those same blessings. May Yahweh bless you.